At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. More than 35% of the people in the United States have it. Of those, more than 80% don't even know they have it. And here's the problem with that. They have what leads to one of the top 10 causes of death annually. And we're talking about prediabetes, the serious health condition that puts you at risk of developing type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. Prediabetes is a diagnosis where your blood sugar levels are higher than normal, but not higher enough to be considered diabetes. There are a lot of misconceptions and a general lack of concern around this condition because, well, most people think they're not there yet. They're not yet diabetic. And while the good news is that this condition could be controlled and even better prevented, there's still many implications and dangerous consequences if it's not recognized or if it's ignored. Joining us on the podcast today to help sweeten the bitter news I've just given you is Lisa Davis, PAC. Lisa is a certified clinical lipid specialist in the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute and the cardiology group, and she also holds various prevention program leads, including the Lipid Management Clinic and the Cardiometabolic Program. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, good afternoon, Dr. Fialco. Thank you so much for having me here today. So Lisa, this is an interesting topic and one that you and I and many others deal with on a regular basis, but I think it's always important to set the stage. We keep talking about diabetes, pre-diabetes. Let's start with diabetes. I think most listeners will know diabetes is not good, but as specific as you can without going into real deep, significant detail, what is the concern about being diabetic? Why do we pay more attention to diabetics in terms of risk reductions? What is diabetes? Yeah, and I think it's important to first, you know, say that for I, I think the focus of the discussion, we're really going to focus on type two diabetes, right? We understand that there are different types of diabetes, but for what we're talking about today, the focus is going to be type two diabetes. Um, and diabetes is a chronic illness, and uh, essentially, it affects how your body turns food into energy. Um, what happens is that uh, in the case of type 2 diabetes, our body still makes insulin, which is different than type 1 diabetes, and often actually produces too much insulin. Insulin is used to transport that sugar into the cells to use for energy. But what happens is there's a, a problem with how the uh, tissues are sort of resistant to the insulin. And what results in this is that you end up having these higher blood sugar levels and that higher blood glucose can lead to inflammation and eventually can end up increasing your risk of heart disease. It can end up affecting your vision. It can end up leading to kidney disease. So essentially, that's what, what type 2 diabetes is. Yeah. So again, that's, of course, the concern. It's not just your sugar's high or you have inflammation, but it's the heart attack, the stroke. And then, of course, vision, kidney failure, nerve damage. It's not a good disease. And as we said, it's, it's all too prevalent. Um, and, but then for the purposes of this conversation, so what is prediabetes? So prediabetes is defined as when, you're, when your sugar is above that level of what is, quote unquote, considered normal, but not yet high enough to actually give you a diagnosis of, of diabetes. Um, and what is important to really be aware of is that prediabetes isn't just a risk factor to progress to diabetes, which 
actually we do see a, a high prevalence of that. Um, I think it's about 70% of people with prediabetes actually progress to diabetes, but it's, it's really important um, to be aware of that prediabetes in and of itself has been found to be an independent risk factor for heart disease. So prediabetes, just to kind of give you some numbers, if we see a fasting blood sugar between 100 and 125, um, a hemoglobin A1C, which is a sort of three-month sugar, so to speak, um, 5.7 to 6.4%, that can give you a diagnosis of prediabetes. So a pre-diabetic condition, it's not normal. You're already seeing changes in labs and we'll get into some of the clinical um, um, issues and, and whatever. It's not normal and then now I'm diabetic. It's a stage of worsening medical conditions that's not at the level of diabetes through a sugar level, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and again, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. No, and, and, and it's important, again, to really, uh, you know, have the awareness out there that it's really important to, to screen for this because, as we said, even when you take out all other risk factors, if you pull out other risk factors of blood pressure and cholesterol and really just look at prediabetes in and of itself as a risk factor, that can be associated with up to a 25 increase, increased risk of having a heart attack. So yeah. I think it's important to really recognize that, which, which I think um, perhaps is really under-recognized. Um, so, so yeah, so I'd like to take that point. I'd like you to comment on, again, your personal experiences in treating patients. The first thing is, you, you know, we used to use the term borderline diabetes and how many people come in saying I'm borderline diabetic. And, you know, I always laugh and say that the comeback is, can you be borderline pregnant? No, you're not borderline diabetic. You already have prediabetes. You have other things going on that will generate diabetes if you don't change it, but you already have aspects going on. And then the, the more important thing I want you to comment, you already said it, but I want to reiterate it, is people think, well, I have prediabetes, so as long as I'm not diabetic, I'm okay. But that is not the case. You mentioned the risk of increased risk of heart attack, but it is a medical condition in and of itself that warrants assessment and treatment, right? It is. And, and um, again, there's been many, many different iterations of what we're calling this sort of impaired glucose tolerance, prediabetes. Um, but essentially, Meta however, metabolic you, syndrome, metabolic syndrome, X, syndrome exactly. Um, and I'm sure it'll change five more times within, you know, in the future. But right. um, it's important to recognize that that in of itself, we, we talk about there is been an uh, associated increased risk of of heart attacks, of need for coronary interventions, such as the need for bypass surgery, the need for cardiac catheterizations where they you know, have to put a stent in an artery due to a blockage, sure. and, and even an increased risk of strokes. So um, all of these things that essentially what we're in the business of trying to prevent prediabetes um, can increase your risk of these things. And, and something else to point out, which um, I, I think a lot of times we fail to recognize is that Prediabetes also increases the risk of having a worse outcome in patients who already have established cardiovascular disease. So even in patients who we're seeing who have already had maybe a heart attack, have already had an intervention, having prediabetes is an additional risk factor for those patients as well. So in, important for us to recognize that. So let's get to some, some uh, components of prediabetes. What would be the signs and symptoms, if any, 
You mentioned lab tests, specifically the sugar, the, the glucose, and the hemoglobin A1C. So they're starting to elevate, but they're not in that diabetic level, which has a whole other component of, of concern. Um, are there other things you see in people? Are there components of the body type or, or aspects that would identify someone who might be pre-diabetic who should then get labs done? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for the majority of the people, this, they are completely asymptomatic. So we don't anticipate, we don't expect them to come in saying with specific complaints saying, I'm feeling this, therefore screaming for prediabetes. Most people aren't going to have any symptoms, but there are certain metabolic changes that we might notice in patients that would prompt them to say perhaps that warrants getting screened. So you start having a little extra weight uh, around the abdomen, you know, a little abdominal obesity. Perhaps you notice that your blood pressure is a little bit elevated. Um, you may notice on a cholesterol panel, for example, you could start seeing the triglycerides are increased or your HDL is lower. Um, another thing is also when so you feel- for a oh, second. I apologize. Sure. So, so, you know, again, hyper-focus on cholesterol and it's been going on for 30, 40 years, but just go back to that point on the lipid panel. It's not actually the LDL cholesterol, it's it's the other two components. Correct. Right? And we do. That's that's a great point because we do focus on LDL cholesterol in terms of risk mitigation um, for cardiovascular disease. And we don't necessarily always look for triglycerides as being a real risk factor. But when you take a step back and really look at holistically the whole picture of this metabolic syndrome, which is absolutely a risk factor for heart disease. What we're going to see is the triglycerides elevated in the uh, lipid panel, the HDL low in the lipid panel. So while in and of itself, if you just pull that one abnormality out, what is the real risk there? But important for us to take a step back and look at the overall picture here. So that's a great point. So lipid um, profile changes a little bit and what may not be ide immediately identified as a concern because it's not the LDL cholesterol, blood pressure goes up. Uh, weight gain in the belly, which is a, a component of this syndrome, not, not infrequently. Anything else? Uh, you know, we can also see maybe there's an increase in, in liver enzymes because there could be fatty liver associated with this whole syndrome. And, and I think something that we're, we um, oftentimes fail to recognize in association, and now it's becoming much more evident, is the association with uh poor sleep and, and obstructive sleep apnea. Um, and um, there's definitely an association between obstructive sleep apnea and, and higher glucose levels. And that's part of this whole syndrome as well. So uh, the things you mentioned are also associated with obesity and obesity can be associated with um, prediabetes and certainly diabetes. Do you see prediabetes in people of normal weight? You absolutely can see prediabetes in people of normal weight. And, uh, you know, that's actually a huge misconception that we see is perhaps people think, oh, I don't need to get screened for that. I'm ideal body weight. I exercise. Um, and, and even in patients doing all the right things, you know, genetics is the one thing. There could be a lot of factors involved, external stressors. I mean, we don't have all the answers yet, but even if uh, you are the ideal weight and have a lack of other risk factors, you still could have prediabetes. So understanding, as you just said, nothing is 100%. Not every obese person is prediabetic. Not every thin person is not prediabetic. Are there some lifestyle components that can increase the risk of prediabetes? And again, eventually diabetes, but prediabetes in particular. Um, and again, not necessarily in everyone, but other certain things that we do associate with the increased risk of, of prediabetes. 
Yeah. And, and like we said, you know, some of it we, we do have some control over and, and, and some of it we, we don't. Um, I, I think that, you know, unfortunately, um, just uh, as a society in our Western world, in terms of diet, we tend to eat more and more processed foods. Our, our diet tends to be higher in carbs and sugars. We're have a stressful life, grabbing fast food. So all of these uh, food choices can actually increase our risk. And, you know, I, I think it's something to also point out here and that especially with what's going on today with rising costs in general and rising food costs, um, unfortunately, a lot of the foods um, that tend to be quote unquote healthier tend to cost more. And so if we look at um, uh, you know, um, the issue with um, certain uh, food insecurity that's that unfortunately a lot of people are dealing with certain foods sure. that tend to be more affordable, rice, potatoes, um, unfortunately, are going to be higher in carbs, higher in sugars, and, you know, increase the way it gets broken down in our body, increase our risk of of uh, pre-diabetes. So um, it's important to get that that messaging out to the community as as well. I mean, uh, it's it's a complex situation. As we said, most people don't feel anything and they feel we used to term pre-diabetes, so I don't have a problem yet. Um, but going back to some of the recommendations you mentioned, I find, you know, one of the big culprits, and of course, it's not across the board, is sugared beverages. Absolutely. Um, you did mention that. And, and, you know, I think we've seen drastic reductions in weight, sugar, et cetera, and just people giving up you know, juices and, and sodas and stuff, right? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. A lot of those hidden sugars that people don't realize, they think, oh, I'm, I'm starting my day healthy. I'm waking up and having a big glass of orange juice to start my day. And, and, and it's not recognizing that they're basically getting a whole glass of sugar first thing in the morning. So yeah. those hidden sugars, the juices, the sodas, alcohol, um, and, and then when we talk about other risk factors, you know, unfortunately, we've become much more sedentary. We get in our cars and drive everywhere we need to go. We're, we're not walking to a market where we're buying fresh food and walking back. Um, and so sedentary lifestyle is, is also another contributor, um, another risk factor for prediabetes. So clearly, if someone is diagnosed with prediabetes based on blood tests, based on, you know, the physique, the big belly, other components, uh, and they say, what do I do? Obviously, again, complex. We'll keep using that term because it is <laughs> complex. But, but what are the kind of things that we recommend to people to start? We talked about lifestyle components that make it more likely to get prediabetes. Are those the same lifestyle improvements which would, which would, which would decrease uh, the concerns of prediabetes? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are things that we can really do ourselves. And, and you know, when I talk to when I talk to people, I, I, I stress to them, this isn't about dieting. It's not about adhering to an 800,000 calorie a day diet and, and counting, you know, and counting their calories and points and weighing food. It's really about adjusting to just healthier, what we call lifestyle modifications, right? So it's just making better food choices, trying to avoid a lot of those sugary foods, the, the foods higher in carbs and sugars, um, eating more vegetables, getting good, you know, healthy protein in there, trying to increase their activity. It, it doesn't mean that you join a, a gym and you need to work out with a personal trainer an hour a day, just walking. I, you know, I say, find something you don't hate doing. If you hate doing it, you're never going to continue to do it. You know, you don't have to necessarily love it, but just don't hate it. And, you know, when we exercise, we tend to make better food choices as well, right? If we just came back from 
doing a 30 minute walk, we're less likely to, you know, go into the junk food cabinet and start eating junk. Um, so um, moving more, trying to avoid those foods that we know are the are the offenders, um, getting a good night's sleep, trying to, uh, you know, eliminate kind of what we call good sleep hygiene, that's going to make a big difference. Um, and you know, it's, it's tough. There's a lot of stress. Um, it, you know, a lot of people are experiencing a lot of stressors right now, but doing all these things overall can, can help to mitigate some of that stress as well. You're feeling better. You're feeling better rested. Um, you're not eating these foods that are weighing you down. Um, all of that can, can make a difference. Um, now, watching your alcohol intake, um, all of that's important. Now, are there is there a role for medications uh, for the various components of prediabetes or for any aspects when, when it comes to a person who's really having significant metabolic disturbances, even if they feel well, is there a role to use medications to decrease that, that cardiac risk or improve the, uh, the, the inflammatory processes associated with prediabetes? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting conversation and we can probably have a whole other conversation uh, talk just about that. But, um, you know, first I want to point out that this isn't all, you know, doom and gloom, so to speak. Studies have shown that with lifestyle modifications, and I think this is really important, you could actually reverse the diagnosis. So I just want right. to pause there for a moment and say, what we do can make a difference and you can reverse the diagnosis. So um, we can't have an impact. There are times when medications are going to be recommended. And, um, you know, a lot of times there might be a medication metformin that could be considered first line. But I think it's interesting to note that there's a lot of novel medications out there that traditionally were used in the type 2 diabetes space that what we're finding is they have these additional cardiovascular risk reduction benefits. And they're not necessarily, necessarily for everybody, but this is where it's important that you sit down with your healthcare provider and it really becomes about individualizing the treatment strategy, doing an overall really good cardiovascular risk assessment and determining, is it maybe time to start you know, one of these therapies and talk about the risks and benefits of those therapies? So there's no one size fits all. Uh, the approach should be very customized, as you mentioned. How how do you in 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 the uh, Miami Cardiac Vascular Institute prevention programs? How do you and how do we, um, you know, have those types of discussions and assessments? So, you know, I, I think that. Um... I think that overall education is key. I, I always say I'm never going to just prescribe a medication and say, trust me, take it. It's the last thing we're going to do. Um, I, I think that overall, I think we're doing a better job of recognizing the importance of prevention. And I say I much prefer to have a discussion um, with my patients about their, their risk factors for cardiovascular disease and really through what we call shared decision making talk about the risks and benefits of, of you know, med medical therapy and um, really educating them about the medications, their use, what they do, how they lower your cardiovascular risk. It's not just about taking their numbers and making their numbers look better on paper. There's a lot of stuff we can do to make numbers look better on paper. It's about lowering cardiovascular risk. Right. And we talk about strategies to do that. And, and then at the end of the day, they have the information, they have the education, they're making an educated decision about what they choose to take or not take. 
So it starts with recognizing someone may be pre-diabetic and recognizing that by being pre-diabetic, you already have a disorder that puts you at a higher risk of heart attack, stroke, et cetera, and untreated or unmitigated generally does progress to full-blown diabetes with all the additional inherent risks towards other parts of your body and, 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 and organs. So uh, again, great work to, uh, that you're doing in the prevention center, the education of not just the, the, the patients, if you will, of the community, but also doctors, providers uh, to recognize this and treat it. And I guess most importantly, to let people know that this is reversible. We can't have you know, remission and um, um, prevent those bad consequences when it's recognized early and addressed. Absolutely. Um, and we shouldn't minimize the importance of lifestyle modifications. You know, that's always going to be uh, an important part of this discussion. It's not just come in and 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 here's a prescription. I mean, lifestyle sure. modifications are, are really critical. And it's not you can't eat this ever or you have to do this. It's really Absolutely just Absolutely not. Right? Yeah, I have so, to be able to practice what I preach. And so I would never <laughs> <laughs> completely deprive myself of any of those right, things. Right. So, yes. Great, great stuff, Lisa. Thanks for sharing your expertise, your passion for the subject. And certainly, uh, you know, continue the good work that uh, that you are leading and we're all leading in the uh, Miami Credit Investment Institute towards uh, these prevention services. Um, to the listeners, again, thank you very much for, uh, for listening. And if you have any thoughts for future topics or any ideas or discussion points, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Stay safe, everyone, and keep listening. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.